Okay, the Bible says he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. Now, why did he leave there? Because the Pharisees were uh, jealous and envious that he was baptizing more disciples than John was. And there was a rise in conflict there. So he left Judea basically because they were rejecting him. So he departed from where? Judea. And he's heading to where? Galilee. And on his way to Galilee from Judea, where did he stop? Samaria. And we covered that last, last Wednesday. So we have extremes here. We have Judea in the south. We have Galilee in the north. We have Samaria in between. And he's making his way to Galilee. But he had to leave Judea because of, the, of their rejection of him. Now, if you'll look over in verse 43, John 4:43. Okay, now after two days he departed thence and went into Galilee. So now he has left Samaria. He's on his way to his destination after being in Samaria for two days. The Bible tells us, For Jesus himself testified that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. And I read that verse uh, to you, verse 3, because of verse 44. Okay? For Jesus himself testified that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. <clears throat> then when he was coming to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast. For they also went unto the feast. So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee. Of course, that's where he did that first miracle uh, in John chapter 2, where he made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then said Jesus unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. The nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down, ere my child die. Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way. Thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend. And they said unto him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at that same hour in the which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth, and himself believed, and his whole house. This again, the second miracle, is again the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Judea into Galilee. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your awesome word tonight. We give you all the glory and the honor and the praise. We ask, Father God, that you would inspire us. We thank you, Lord, your word is already anointed. We thank you for your presence that is here right now. We stand upon your word and we believe. We thank you for what you're going to do in this house tonight. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. So look at verse 43 again. Now after two days he departed thence and went into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. So... What country is he talking about here? The Bible tells us here as he approaches Galilee, the Galileans received him. 
So it's a little unclear absolutely as to what he is making reference to, but I believe you go back to that verse 3 where he left Judea. So I believe that he's talking about Judea because he is of the line of the tribe of Judah and uh, his own tribe rejected him. Judea rejected him and that's why he left, all right, and departed. So he gives them <coughs> a statement here that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. He is not honored in his own country. Isn't that a sad thing? He was rejected by his own. He went, came to his own. His own received him not. So Jesus said, again, that a prophet hath not honor in his own country. Now, as he's approaching Galilee, this was the destiny that he had planned to go to from Judea. The Bible says the Galileans received him. But how did they receive him? Having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem, at the feast, but they also went unto the feast. But they did not receive him sufficiently. So let's go to John chapter 2. The background for Nicodemus, the background for the Roman of Samaria, the background for the nobleman is found in verse 24 of chapter 2. Okay. I think I'll start with verse 23. John 2, 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover and the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. Okay? So they witnessed these miracles that Jesus did, and as a result, they believed on him, but it wasn't sufficient belief. It was an insufficient faith. It was based on just miracles. That's what they were looking for. Verse 24. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all. He knew all. So they believed on him, but the faith they believed on him with was not sufficient. So the Bible says they believed on him, but he did not commit himself unto them, or that means he did not believe in them. You see? And so the Bible tells us because he knew all. That means he knew what was in their hearts. He knew that their faith was just based on signs and miracles, and that was it. It really wasn't a real genuine faith. So he didn't commit himself to them. Verse 25, he need not any that should testify a man, for he knew what was in man. Chapter 3, verse 1, there was a man. So we have examples of what is in the heart of man in Nicodemus, in the heart of mankind, and then we see what's in the heart of the woman of Samaria. Now, what did the woman of Samaria do? How did she believe in him? See, even Nicodemus' faith was insufficient because the Bible says, he told Jesus, we know you are a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with you. So his focus was on miracles, right? And signs. But when you look at the woman of Samaria, she believed in Jesus Christ. And in fact, Jesus actually told her he was the Messiah. This is the first time he ever told anybody that he was the Messiah. Okay? And it was the woman of Samaria. And the Bible will tell us the woman of Samaria believed that he was the Messiah and there was no sign done, no miracle done. She believed in him simply based on what he said with his word. Her faith was based in the word that he spoke, not in some miracle that he performed. You understand that? 
So now we come to verse uh, 44 of John 4. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. Then when he was come into Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast, but they also went unto the feast. So they believed on him based on what? What they saw. Those miracles, those signs that they saw him perform. That's what they put their faith in. Right? It was insufficient faith. Now I'm going to prove it to you tonight. See, a lot of people go after signs, miracles, and wonders. You can pack a church, yeah. It doesn't matter what is taught in that church. It doesn't matter what is believed in that church. It doesn't matter what is preached in that church. You get somebody that claims to have the ability to heal, work signs, miracles, or wonders, and you'll pack out that church. Even though that church may be false in its doctrine. So you cannot base your faith on a miracle worker or a miracle or a sign. You have to base your faith in the Word of God. See, the devil would have you to believe this way, okay? Feeling, get your feeling, then get facts, and then get faith. Okay? But God, in, in Jesus, the way He has us come to Him, it has to be what? Facts. The Word of God. Then we put faith in the Word of God. Then you get the feeling. Okay, let me go over that again. Facts. Faith. Feeling. Not feeling, faith, facts. The devil wants you to have feeling, faith, facts. If I get the feeling, then I'll have faith. And then I'll get the facts. But God's Word is facts, the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Facts, faith, then your feeling. You understand that? So Jesus is showing us in the Word of God here that we are not to put our faith in a sign, a miracle, or a wonder. But we're to put our faith in the Word of God. You're not to put your faith in a feeling. Now, Please don't misunderstand me. The signs and miracles that Jesus did testified as to who He was. But it wasn't just the miracles that He did that He was calling people to believe in. What He said was what they had to believe in. And so we have that woman of Samaria who simply believed that Jesus was the Messiah based on what He said with His words, not with any sign, with no miracles at all. She believed He was the Messiah. So the Galileans, okay, I'm going to gather you up here. As Jesus makes his way into Galilee here, then the Galileans are coming out. And they're coming out to receive him. Why? Because when they were in Jerusalem during the feast day, they witnessed the miracles. John chapter 2, go back there, verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover and the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. The Bible tells us, during the Passover, the Galileans had also gone up to Judea. And while Jesus was there working miracles, the Galileans witnessed those miracles as well. <clears throat> so news has spread that Jesus has left Judea, he's gone through Samaria, now he's coming to Galilee. Right? As he approaches Galilee, the Galileans are coming out. Now who are the Galileans? 
Well, the Galileans that went up to Jerusalem to observe the feast of Passover, when they saw the miracles of Jesus, were Jewish Galileans. But the majority of the Galileans are Gentiles. Over 90% of the people that lived in Galilee were Gentiles. But Jesus was born in Nazareth of Galilee. He was born in Gentile territory, although there were some Jews there. I'll just give you a little background. So anyway, as he makes his way back to Galilee, he looks up and he sees these people coming, and they're coming to receive him, but their faith is insufficient. But I think it's better than what was in Judea. Because the Bible says, Jesus says, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country. His own country was Judea, Jerusalem. His own tribe was located there. But he was completely rejected by his own country. There was no honor for him there. There was no respect for him there. But there was respect for him in Samaria. The woman of Samaria showed him respect. And these Galileans that are coming out to meet him, even though this is where he lives, Nazareth of Galilee, these Galileans at least believe in him on a higher level than those that are in Judea. Does that make sense to you? And so let's keep on reading. Let's see what the Bible says. Verse 46. So Jesus came again into what? Cana of Galilee. That's where the first miracle took place, where he made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. Now you're fixing to go from complete extremes. You're going to go from a woman of Samaria who believed in Jesus based on what he said in his word. And then you're going to go completely to another extreme, to a nobleman, a man of royal blood. Okay, You're going from a woman is going to the well to gather water there at the, at the well of Jacob, right? Okay? <clears throat> not socially accepted. In fact, it was not socially acceptable for a man to speak to her in public. All right? Do you understand? But Jesus broke down all those social barriers. We saw that last week. So as far as social level of things is concerned, she was about as low as you could possibly get. She was a Samaritan. She was looked down on by the Jews, as all Samaritans were. But now we come to the other extreme, and we come to a man who is coming from the court of Herod. This man, he's a nobleman. It is believed that he was Herod's brother. If he was Herod's brother, that means not only is he coming from the king's court, because Herod was known as a king. Not only is he coming from a king's court, but he's got royal blood flowing in his veins if he's the brother of Herod. Does that make sense? It could be that he's just a servant in the court of King Herod. But King Herod's palace is located in Capernaum. So what we have here, we have opposites and extreme. We've got the woman of Siberia on a low scale socially. Now we come to a man that's about as high as you can get socially. Okay, If he's not royal blood, if he's not royalty himself, he is a servant to the king in the palace of the king. So he is a nobleman. He's a very high-ranking official. So we have extremes here. Do you understand? As far as social levels are concerned. Now this man travels 20 miles from Capernaum down to Cana because he hears Jesus is there in Cana again where he worked that first miracle. 
And the Bible will tell us when that nobleman gets there, uh, background here, the son was sick at Capernaum, verse 47. When he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him. So he traveled 20 miles. Catch this now. I want you to see this. He's a Herodian. He's not a Jew. Okay? Herodian. If he's Herodian, if he's got noble blood in his veins, he's not just a servant. And I'm going to say that he is the brother of Herod. So he's got royalty in his veins. He's a Herod. This is the first Herod that Jesus will come in contact on a personal level. Right? He travels 20 miles, this Herodian, to meet Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know if you understand how significant that is. But Herodians, if you study the Bible, you will find out the Herodians are about as arrogant and skeptical as you could possibly be. These people are full of pride. All right? They're extremely arrogant. They acknowledge no God. They acknowledge no law. They acknowledge no opinion except those that Caesar commands them to acknowledge. You understand? So they're like the book of Proverbs talks about the, the arrogant man, the prideful man, the skeptical man, all right? He's not going to listen to anything anybody tells him. He doesn't believe in a God. He doesn't believe in a law. The only ones that he believes in are commanded by Caesar for him to believe in. He's completely sold out to Caesar. So he is a Gentile. He's not a Jew. He's an arrogant, prideful Herodian. But yet for some reason, now this is interesting to me, some reason he travels 20 miles to pay a visit to Jesus. Now is it just because his son is sick and he's heard that Jesus works miracles? Or is there something else going on here? Is he sent by Rome? to investigate Jesus the Messiah. I don't know if you know this, but Tiberius had a dream that there was, uh, in his time, uh, he had a dream that there was going to be a man that would be born in his life that would be a miracle worker. They called him the Theophis. And um, very, 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 uh, I don't know how to put it, the dream that Tiberius had, it shook him up. And so from that time that Tiberius had that dream about this Theophus, this uh, miracle-working man that would come upon the scene, possibly a God-man in the dream, from the day he had that dream, Tiberius Caesar had that dream, he was constantly sending commissions to the Middle East to see if they could find the Theophus. Okay? Does that make sense to you? Do you understand what I'm telling you here? So it is possible that this Herod is not just going to meet Jesus because he needs his son healed. It could be that he's going, I'm going history here. I'm giving you history here. It could be the reason why this Herodian is going to Jesus is that he's on a commission from Rome to see if Jesus is the fulfillment of the dream that Tiberius had concerning the Theophis, a, a godlike man that would be born in his lifetime who would be a miracle worker. Okay? And history will tell you that from Rome, they sent many commissions to see if Jesus was that one that Tiberius dreamed about. Okay? So, I'm just giving you a little background here. So Herod, this nobleman, makes his way from the court, the palace. 
if the history's right, he's going to check out and investigate whether or not this is the one that, G, that Tiberius Caesar dreamed about. Number two, we know for sure that when he goes there, he has an interest in Jesus because if he is the miracle worker that Tiberius dreamed about, then maybe this man, if he is the Theophus, he has the ability to heal my son who has a fever. And if he can heal my son, that would be a good proof for me to take back to Rome to let Caesar know that this man works miracles. So it is possible he's the fulfillment of your dream. Okay, now you're going to have to study history to get that. Alright? So he is a very, very high ranking official. If he is on a commission from Rome, that even gives him greater authority. When he walks up to Jesus, the protocol for anybody in that jurisdiction, because remember the palace is in Capernaum, Herod's palace. And so there's jurisdiction. Herod's jurisdiction is over the land that Jesus was born in. Right? He was born in Bethlehem, but he lived in, in uh, Nazareth. So the jurisdiction of Herod is there. The protocol, when you come in the presence of a Herodian, in that kind of jurisdiction, especially a man if he's got a Roman commission to check and see if Jesus is the Theophis, okay? The protocol is for everybody to bow in the middle of the body to that Herodian like this and to not even lift your eyes up and look at him. Okay? Because what, what is that about? Well, you are showing that you are submissive to the Roman Empire. You are showing that you are submissive to Caesar by acknowledging this Herod, by bowing yourself to him and not looking him straight in the eye. If you do not do that, if you walk up to that, that Herodian, this Herodian I'm talking about here now, if you do not bow in the middle and keep your eyes downward when you approach him, you are looked at as insubordinate. You can be imprisoned and you can even be put to death for improper protocol. They will look at you as insubordinate to, to Rome, to Caesar himself. Okay? So I want you to catch that. I mean, we're, we're talking about some really, really important things for you to grasp. This nobleman that he's Jesus is to come in contact with, this Herod here, Herodian, or at least from the court of Herod, is a very high-ranking official. That if you don't do certain things in his presence, you can be put in prison and even put to death. Okay? And sometimes they put you in prison, they would beat you. Alright? When this nobleman walks up to Jesus, Jesus neither bows to him, nor does Jesus put his eyes downward. In fact, the way that Jesus addresses this nobleman right here, it really, it's amazing that he wasn't put to death instantly on the spot. Who am I talking about? Jesus. That Jesus wasn't instantly put to death on the spot. Are y'all hearing me? What are you saying, Pastor? When the nobleman walks up to Jesus, his request is, Jesus, you come back to Capernaum with me. That's where the palace of Herod is. You come back to Capernaum with me. Jesus doesn't go. So he breaks the law. Do you understand that? 
because it is a law. If that Herod comes to you and tells you you've got to go to Capernaum and you don't obey that word, you have broken the law as far as Herod is concerned. And Jesus doesn't do any of it. He doesn't bow. He doesn't cast his eyes to the ground. He doesn't obey this, this nobleman and go back to Capernaum with him. So he has broken the law. The only, listen, I want you to catch this. The only possible way that Jesus has not broken the law here by not bowing himself, casting his eyes to the ground, and going with this nobleman back to Capernaum. The only way that he has not broken that law is if he's a Roman citizen. Did you catch that? Okay. So if he's not a Roman citizen, then he could be put to death on the spot. Why he wasn't, I don't know. I'm not telling you he, was a, he had a Roman citizenship, but for some reason, he had great respect and honor from the government of Rome so that he was allowed to do things that nobody else would be allowed to do. See, there's some things when you read your Bible, you don't catch, you don't see it. You don't know it's there. But I'm telling you for the response, the response that Jesus had to the nobleman and the response that the nobleman had to Jesus is very, very, very extremely unusual unless he's a Roman citizen or he is in a high level of rank and authority in the eyes of Rome itself. If that's the case, that means his influence was not just Middle Eastern that his influence reached all the way to Rome itself. Alright? Now, some of you, when I tell you things like that, you don't believe because you've never heard it. Okay? But just because you haven't ever heard it doesn't mean, you know, that it's not true. Ultimately, I don't know why Jesus wasn't put to death on the spot. But I can tell you one thing. This nobleman recognized Jesus' authority and power. Okay? So when he first comes to Jesus... You see, he's looking for signs, miracles, and wonders as well. Just like the Bible said in John chapter 2, many believed on his name when they saw the miracles that he did. Are y'all with me? What does it say about him, Jesus? But he did not commit himself to them because he, he knew what was in him. Right? So now we have another example of somebody coming who wants a sign or a wonder from Jesus Christ. If you are that one Tiberius dreamed about, you have the ability to do signs, miracles, and wonders. So this nobleman is coming. We want, I need a miracle myself. I need a wonder myself, right? Now look at what Jesus does. Look how he talks to this man. He rebukes him. Do you see what I'm saying? There's, there's nothing I can give you by way of example, even in our government. You understand? I mean, because if somebody in a high-ranking level in our government were to walk up to you, doesn't mean you have to bow to them, cast your eyes to the ground, or you'd be in prison and put to death. There is absolutely nothing in our government that I can show you as an example. But when this man comes to Jesus, he doesn't bow, he doesn't put his eyes to the ground. He rebukes the man. He must have some tremendous authority to do that. Okay? Well, we know, of course. We know who he is, but 
But what I'm trying to tell you, you know who he is. But what about this nobleman? Can you imagine the confusion of mind that's going on in this man's mind when he gets rebuked by this Jewish man? What am I going to do with that? What do I do with this? How do I handle this? Okay? You understand? So he rebukes him. Now look at it. The Bible says, about the nobleman, travels 20 miles, son is sick. When he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea to Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then said Jesus unto him, except ye see, it's plural, so this man represents all people who have to see something in order to believe. People who have to see something in order to believe. Some special, you know, you work some special sign. You work a special miracle. Okay, we have to see something. When we see you do something, then we will believe. Okay, and it's plural. So he's just like those in Jerusalem that saw the miracles that Jesus did and believed based on that. Right? Am I boring y'all to tears? Y'all just want to go home? I'll, I'll stay here. I thought you might want to go home and watch the rewind of the Super Bowl. But anyway, Jesus rebukes the man. Now, you understand there's people that are like that today. They want to see something. If I can see something, okay, feeling, faith, facts, then I'll believe. Jesus says I'm not going to operate that, that way with the unbeliever. See, Jesus didn't just go around working miracles for the sake of working miracles for unbelievers. The signs and miracles that he did was for the believer. Because they believed in His Word, right? But he, he never did just do things just because somebody wanted Him to do it. You know, in order to be believed in. If you'll do something for me, then I'll believe you. You let me see something, then I'll believe you. Okay? That's not the kind of faith Jesus says is the kind of faith you need. So this man, this high-ranking official, this nobleman approaches Jesus and he rebukes them. Then said Jesus unto him, except ye, plural, see signs and wonders you will not believe. But you have misunderstood the sign because a sign is to point you on. Now, we said this before. When you're going down the highway, you're traveling in your car and you see a sign that says 30 miles to wherever, you know, 35 miles to Andrews. You don't get out of your car, go up to the sign and stare at the sign. The sign is pointing you onward to your destination. So when Jesus worked the sign, it wasn't meant to be an end in and of itself. Okay? The sign that He worked was to point you onwards. It's to, it's to point you to faith in His Word. It's to point you to faith in Him. Not, not so you'll put your faith in a sign or something He does for you or some special thing that He does for you, what He does for you is to point you to Him and what He says in His Word. 
All right. So Jesus said, except you what? See signs. You're just like those people over in Jerusalem that believed on me when they saw the signs and the miracles that I did. But he said, I couldn't commit myself to those kind of people. I couldn't believe in them. They believed in me to a point, but I couldn't believe in them because their faith wasn't real. Their faith was only based in something that I did, not in who I am. And that is not sufficient for salvation. If you're the kind of person that only puts your faith in Jesus for what He does for you, that is not sufficient for salvation. You have to put your faith in Him and in His words in order for it to be sufficient for salvation. So He rebukes this nobleman. Except you see signs and wonders, you shall what? Not believe. So he corrects this high-ranking official. Right? Now let me, let me share this with you. What, this is ha what is happening in these passages is a lot of people are believing in Jesus based on what he's doing. Um, but it's not sufficient faith. They're not be believing on his word, okay? Does that make sense? So what they're trying to do is they're trying to bypass the Word of God. This nobleman's going to try to bypass the Word of God. He's going to try to bypass the presence of the Lord. Amen. He's even going to bypass the miracles that God did in the Old Testament. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, I know he's a Gentile, but the Jews... They believed in the miracles that Jesus did, signs, etc. But they bypassed the miracles that God did in the Old Testament. How? Anybody got any idea? You know how they bypassed the Word of God? Well, it is not enough for you to put your faith in a miracle or a sign or a wonder. I'm going to tell you why. Because in the Old Testament, Israel saw God do many signs, miracles, and wonders. but they still departed from it. They still disobeyed His Word. So you can see signs, miracles, and wonders, but still depart from Him and not believe in His Word. What did Israel do? God did signs, miracles, and wonders, but yet they went after Baal. So let me talk to you just a little bit. <clears throat> There are many people who believe the doctrine that you believe. They believe it. But they're in other churches tonight. You know why? They know what we preach and what we teach is the truth. But they don't want to practice what we preach and teach. What they fail to understand is that when you walk with God, it's not a one-time experience. Because salvation is past, present, and future. You can come to church. You can get baptized in Jesus' name. You can get filled with the Holy Ghost. Still die and go to hell. You know why? Because you have to have faith in the present truth that He's bringing forth. 
Okay? Let me explain myself. All right? So there's a lot of people in Odessa, Texas right now that they do believe the doctrine that we preach. But they don't want to practice what we practice. So what they'll do is they'll come in, they'll get baptized in Jesus' name, they'll get the Holy Ghost, then they'll start going to another church. You know why they'll do that? It's because they believe what you believe. But they want to live the way they want to live. And that's exactly what happened with Israel because God did signs, miracles, and wonders for Israel. Then why did they leave Him? Because they wanted to practice what they wanted to practice. Why would you leave a God who works signs, miracles, and wonders and start serving Baal? Because Baal worship has no commandments. And Baal worship has temple prostitutes for you to enjoy. And Baal worship has homosexuals for you to enjoy. If that's your preference. So because there was no commands in the worship of Baal, alright, and they could do whatever they wanted to do, alright, they could live immoral, they could disobey the word of God, etc. There are no commands in Baal worship. They would say with their mouth, we believe that Yahweh is God. And yes, we've seen the signs and miracles and wonders that He's done, but we're not going to believe His Word. We're going to, we want to believe, okay, that He is the one God. We want to believe the doctrine is correct, but we don't want to live it. We want to practice what we want to practice. See, there are many people who want to believe what you believe, but they want to practice what they want to practice. And that's why Jesus is showing this man here, you cannot base your faith just on signs, miracles, and wonders because that is insufficient for salvation. They had that in the Old Testament, but still departed from the Lord. We say, well, why don't we have more people in our church? Because we preach the Word of God from, from cover to cover and we call people to repentance. We call them to live a godly life as the Word of God does. And so they come in here and say, yeah, I believe that. I believe exactly like they preach, but I don't want to practice it. So I'm going to go over here to another church even though I don't believe the doctrine of that other church. Did you hear me, brother? Even though they don't believe in the doctrine of that other church, they will still go to that other church because that church will let them do what they want to do. Do you ever wonder why? There are people that tell you, yeah, I believe that's the truth. But why aren't you in the church? Why didn't I see you in church last night? Weren't you baptized in Jesus' name? Weren't you filled with the Holy Ghost? What church you been going to? Oh, I just going to that church. Why aren't you here? Don't you believe this doctrine? Yeah, I believe that doctrine. Why aren't you here? Because I want to practice the way I want to practice. I want bell worship where there is no commandments. I can live the way I want to. So it is an insufficient faith for somebody. To say, yeah, I believe like you believe, and I know it's the truth, but I'm going to go over to this church, even though I don't believe in their doctrine, because I can do what I want to and practice what I want to practice. 
You ever wonder why? I'm telling you why. Because human nature has not changed. So when Jesus comes to Judea, Jerusalem, and they believe on Him because of the miracles that He did, it is not sufficient. Israel did that in the Old Testament. But they still left God so they could live the way they wanted to live. Understand that? Does that make sense to you? So here comes Jesus and He's dealing with another person who has insufficient faith. He wants to believe based on signs and wonders. But remember, the sign is to point you to Him. Okay? So you would believe in Him and believe in His words. And so that you would live for Him and be obedient to that word. So that you could have, you could have been saved a week ago, but be lost tonight. You know why? Because covenant with God, your initiation into covenant, you got baptized in Jesus' name, you got filled with the Holy Ghost, and you were initiated into covenant. At that point, you were saved. Okay? But covenant is not just initiation into covenant. Covenant in the Word of God, faith is based on obedience. You cannot separate true faith from obedience. Reason, your human intellect, always produces disobedience. Let me say it again. Your human intellect, reason produces disobedience. Faith produces obedience to the Word of God. Faith and obedience go together. You can't say I've got faith and not be obedient. You understand? So your salvation is not sufficient for you to be saved to have an historical faith. Or let's go back. Let's talk about it this way. It is not sufficient for you to be saved today uh, just to be baptized in your name and be filled with the Holy Ghost and then backslide. Because salvation is not just a past experience that you that happened to you maybe a year or two ago or 30 years ago. Salvation in the Word of God must be present. If you do not have present salvation, then you will not have future salvation. Present, you are saved. Are you with me? You are saved. You're being saved. And then future, you will be saved. So you may have been saved in the past, but if you're not saved right now, that means you won't be saved in the future. Because your faith has to be based on a present truth and a present obedience. For you to be in covenant with God is an ongoing obedience to the covenant of God. And at the time that you stop obeying the Word of God, you can be bachelor sitting on a church pew. You can die and go to hell sitting on a church pew. But you were baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost 20 years ago. Because you do not have present faith in the Word of God. And it's a great struggle. It, God help pastor tonight. It's a great struggle for me to pastor you. Because a lot of you, whether you want to tell me that or not, whether you want to say it or not, you have a belief system called unconditional eternal security. 
You believe that once saved, always saved. No matter how you live. But covenant doesn't work that way. You must have a present faith in a present word for a present need. I asked Brother Bloss to get me the, the word, uh, the scripture tonight before I came to the pulpit. I heard it back there when I was standing there. First Corinthians chapter 1. The Bible says God had chosen through the foolishness, foolishness of preaching to save them that what? Believe. What verse was it? 121. You can read it for yourself. God has chosen through the foolishness of preaching to save them that what? That believe. It doesn't say God has chosen through the foolishness of preaching to save them that don't believe. He's chosen through the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And if you're going to believe, you better be under the Word of God because God has chosen through the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. He didn't, he didn't, hold on a minute. He did not choose foolish preaching. There's a lot of foolish preaching that goes on from behind pulpits all over America. Foolish preaching. He has not chosen foolish preaching to save them that believe. He's chosen, are y'all with me? Chosen through the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So if you're going to believe, you have to stay under the Word of God and you have to walk in obedience to that Word of God because covenant is an ongoing thing. The new birth is just the initiation into it. Israel had the blood applied to them. When they walked out of Egypt, they were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. They went through the Red Sea. They were water baptized. There was a cloud that they were underneath. They were spirit baptized typically. So the blood of the Passover Lamb was applied to their life. Baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So they were spirit baptized and water baptized typically. But the Bible says... They backslid. They murmured. And God was not well pleased with them. And they died in the wilderness. So you can start out spirit baptized, water baptized. You can start out having the blood applied to your life. But are you saved tonight? And I want you to know as I preach to you, this is not just to the adults. If you have the ability to understand what this preacher is telling you, this word is for you. I don't care if you're three years old, four years old, and above whatever. This word applies to you. If you are a rejecter of the word of God tonight, you are a lost as you can possibly be, even though you're looking me in the eyes right now. So salvation is based on a past, present, and future experience. Historical faith is what a lot of people have. They believe God. You believe Jesus lived and died and rose again the third day? You believe He poured out the Holy Ghost on, on the day of Pentecost? Yeah. You believe uh, the apostles preached to you? Say, yeah, I believe that. You do? Yeah. That's historical faith. Let me give you an example. I believe uh, George Washington lived. How many of y'all believe George Washington lived? Have you ever seen George Washington personally? Ever met him? Then why do you believe he lived? History says it. You saw a picture of him. History says it. Well, I'm pretty sure he lived. I have historical faith that there was a man by the name of George Washington that lived. All right? 
But he was the founding father, I guess, or whatever. President of the, of the United States of America. All right. How do you know that? Historical faith. I believe in history. Some people have historical faith. They believe that there was a man named Jesus that walked this earth, that died, was buried, and rose again on the third day. They believe historically. But historical faith is not sufficient for salvation. Some people have future faith. I believe the rapture of the church is going to happen. Future faith. But neither one of those are sufficient for salvation. You can have historical faith. You can believe in the, in the past. You can have future faith. You can believe in something in the future. And God honors that. But it's not sufficient for salvation. You must have present faith. Present faith. Do you have a reality of it tonight? Are you living by obedience to the Word of God tonight? Or are you a bell worship practicing what you want to practice but yet trying to believe what we believe? You better get into an altar and you better get right with God. And so that's why a lot of people, that's what they'll do. They'll do just like Israel. They put, oh yeah, God worked those miracles. God worked those signs and wonders. And why did you depart from Him into bell worship? Because you wanted to live the lifestyle you wanted to live. So faith in miracles is not sufficient for salvation. If you're only living for God, for what God can do for you, some special miracle, something, He's going to get you out of trouble. If He gets me out of trouble, I'll live for Him. You're going to die and go to hell with that kind of faith. You're going to die and go to hell with that kind of faith. You have to put your faith in the Lord Himself and in His Word. And when you put your faith in the Lord and His Word, you will obey it. You can't separate the two. And as you walk that obedience out in your life, it's called holiness or sanctification. Then it will produce salvation eternally. If you don't have present faith, if you don't have, have present salvation, you do not have future salvation. That's why you and I got to make sure we're praying. And we're walking with God. You know? That's why there's such great conflict. The temptations come and the battles come against the Christian. You've got a war. You've got to fight that. The Bible says you have to overcome. So a lot of people are going to be lost. They're going to die and they're going to go to hell. Even though they were baptized in the name of the Lord and filled with the Holy Ghost at one time. Because they wanted to go practice the lifestyle they wanted to practice, believing what you believe. That is not covenant. Okay? So this man comes, and he's like so many other people. They will believe if they see a sign. They will believe if they'll see a miracle. Just going to take you to, to where it really is important. He said it's going to be the Word that's important. Because you are not saved by the love of God. So that's hard for some of you to swallow. Okay. You're gonna get your John, you're gonna get John chapter three out, and you're gonna bring it to me, and you're gonna say, Look, Pastor, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth him, you know, should not perish, but have everlasting life, right? For God so loved the world, right? 
And you say, well, that, that's proof that I'm saved by the love of God. You're not saved by the love of God. The love of God, the love of God is what motivated him to come in humanity and die for you. You don't think he loved those people that died and went to hell today? He loved them. But they weren't saved just because he loved them. You're, you're saved because you do what God tells you to do. You're saved by the Word of God. Let me say it again. You're saved by the Word of God. What God tells you to do. That's how you're saved. If you don't do what God tells you to do, you'll never be saved, no matter how much He loves you. If you're not baptized in the name of the Lord, filled with the Holy Ghost, you know. Are y'all here tonight? If you don't live a holy life, you're not going to be saved by the love of God. You're going to be saved because you do what God tells you to do. You are saved by the Word of God. You are a bibliocentric believer. Which means your experience must line up with the Bible. Your experience must line up with the Bible. Not the Bible with your experience. Because you're saved by what? The Word of God, not the love of God. If you're saved by the love of God, for God so loved the world. And the whole world's not going to be saved. Why do you think I worked so hard to preach the Word of God to you? Because we are saved by the Word of God. And so once we get the Word of God, now we can exercise faith in the Word of God, and then the feeling comes. A lot of you are waiting for the feeling or the miracle. And then you'll put faith. God says, no, my word, then faith, then the feeling. That's how it is. Say amen. Okay. You can be healed in your body. You can experience a miracle. I mean, somebody can work a miracle. Uh, you know, God could use somebody uh, to work a miracle through, and they could be completely lost. So this is why Jesus rebukes this man when he comes to him. Except ye, plural, see signs and wonders, ye shall not believe. Your faith and what you believe is based on some special sign, miracle that the Lord, or something that God does for you. If He does it for you, you'll believe. If it doesn't happen, you won't believe. You're going to die and go to hell. Because that kind of faith is not sufficient. You must have faith for a present truth and a present need. It's based in the Word of God. And I don't know about you, I don't want to die and go to hell. Okay. And I love all of you. I love all of you. But if all of you leave, we, we may have to start over it. And you're not, but I'm just telling you, all of you can leave this church, every one of you. And we're going to start over. Okay, if that happens. <clears throat> you know why? Because I'm not going to die and go to hell for any of you. I love you. I'm going to preach the word of God to you. <clears throat> but I'm not going to die and go to hell for you. What I'm trying to tell you is I'm not going to compromise the word of God to have a big sheep pen. I'm not trying to build a sheep pen. We're trying to build a sheep fold. We're not after numbers. We don't, we don't have a sheep pen here. 
We're not after numbers. We're after a sheep fold. We want you to be ready for the rapture. And I've got a responsibility. If every one of you leave the church, I have a responsibility not to compromise that word and preach that word of God to you. All right? And if we got to start over, I'm not going to die and go to hell for you. Okay? Well, I thought you wanted a sheep pen, Pastor. I just thought you wanted a bunch of sheep. I want a sheep. God wants a sheep fold. A sheep fold. Somebody that's ready for the rapture. And if it's only eight of you, like Noah's group. Amen? Ooh. I'm going to go there because I feel good. I'm going to go there because it's the church of my choice. I'm going to go there because this, this, that, and the other. Okay. But what is preached from the pulpit? Are they just going to allow you to live however you want to live? You won't be saved. You hear what I'm telling you, man? All right. So I think you got it, right? You got it. If you got it, lift your hands and say, praise the Lord. All right. Praise the Lord. That fresh water? I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll just tell you what I'll do. I'll drink out of this thing. It's got to be fresh. Praise the Lord. I'm not, excuse me. I mean, you can edit that, but I'm not sure about that. That looks like that's been sitting there since Sunday night. Mm. No, you know, I, I, I got it. I got it. I got the jar. Now, honestly, I'm not going to enjoy if you if you get upset and leave and go across town. I have a responsibility before God Almighty, and that's the most important thing for me. Okay. So that means that sometimes you, you and I, neither one may like it very well. But we're going to obey God. I ain't dying. Don't you never say, I'm not dying going to hell for you. That's good. I'm glad some of your husbands and wives are looking at each other. I'm not dying going to hell for you. This is too serious. I don't play games with God. I'm not going to play games with God. You can say I'm too serious if you want to. But this is no game for me. Has eternal consequences. Ooh, you need to come over here. Yeah, it's, it feels so good. Look at all these miracles. Well, hey, praise the Lord. You get the Word of God preached, the information from the Word of God will go forth to you, and then the inspiration will come. Some people say, Well, I preach for inspiration. I preach for inspiration. You know, I, I hit a couple of points out of the Word of God, and then I preached them about how my dog died today. And everybody gets inspired. And everybody's crying. People go to the altar because somebody's dog died. Not because they love Jesus Christ, but, but because some dog died. And they, they all feel sorry for the dog that died. So they're going to go down to the altar and pray. Talk to Jesus for that poor old dog. Why are you looking at me like that? I'm not asking you to believe me. I'm just asking you to listen to me, all right? Why do you think so many people, Billy Graham, when he used to be preaching, why do you think so many people would come down to the front when Billy Graham would preach? I'm talking about thousands of people come to the front. You know why they went to the front? A lot of them went to the front when Billy Graham got through preaching. They went to the front because poor Jesus. 
It's the least I could do for him. After all he's done for me, it's the least I could do for him. Poor old Jesus. And they'll go stand in the altar. Poor old Jesus. Here I am, Jesus. Poor Jesus. This is the least I can do for you. Because you did so much for me. That's why they go. And they're back in the same lifestyle they were before. They walked to that altar. Same lifestyle. Poor old Jesus. Hey, listen to me, church. You'd be surprised how many people, when they go to an altar and they pray in an altar and they're crying their tears, you'd say, oh, you're praying through. Way to go. That's the Holy Ghost. No, they're praying. They're crying. Because poor old Jesus. Poor Jesus. He needs me. What's Jesus going to do without me? Or something. They lost their boyfriend that day or that girlfriend. And you think they're down there repenting and talking to God and praying through and all they're crying about is the boyfriend and the girlfriend they lost that day. I'm telling you the truth. I've been around the block a few times and that means a good way, not an, un not an unholy way. Why are you crying? Oh, I just love Jesus. <laughs> you found out that they broke up today with the boyfriend. Why do you come to the altar? Well, I'm coming because I, you know, I feel sorry for Jesus, sir. You know, I, that story you told, it just inspired me. I tell you what, if I give you information, which is the Word of God, you'll get your inspiration. We're a bibliocentric believer. We know the only way we're going to be saved is, is doing what God tells us to do. Not because we feel sorry for ourselves and we go to church because we feel sorry for ourselves. Or, or we don't even go to church tonight because we don't want to die and go to hell. I didn't, you know, when I got ready to come to church tonight, I didn't come to church tonight because I was worried if I didn't come to church tonight, I was going to die and go to hell. I went to church tonight to hear the Word of God. I went to church tonight to find out what God's going to tell me to do so I can obey Him and live for Him. That's why I came to church. I don't want to go to hell, but I, I didn't come tonight to escape hell. I, that's not why I came. You came for the wrong reason. You came because you, you should have come because you wanted to hear the Word of God and obey that Word and understand God is telling you to do something. If you'll obey that, you'll be saved. If you'll believe that word, the miracles are going to follow those that believe. You're not supposed to be chasing the miracle. The miracle is supposed to chase them that believe. It's the word, then faith, then the miracle. That's the way it works. Biblically. If you want to get biblical. Biblical. And we're bibliocentric believers. Ooh. Boy, that's a mouthful. So you understand what I'm telling you? Israel saw signs, miracles, and wonders and still went to Baal worship so they could practice what they wanted to practice. Bypass the Word of God of the Old Testament. And that's what they're trying to do in the New Testament in Jerusalem. Bypass the Word of God. Just give me a miracle. Just give me a sign and I'll believe. Superficial. Doesn't bring salvation. Verse 49, the nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down here, my, my child died. <coughs> He's still pressing it. 
My child's going to die if you don't come down. What he's saying is, I need you presence, your presence to be there. I need you to go with me 20 miles from Cana back to Capernaum. I need you to walk into my room or wherever that boy's lying. And I need you to touch him with your physical hands. And I need you to be present there physically for the miracle to take place. It's because he has an insufficient understanding as to who Jesus is. Jesus doesn't have to walk 20 miles and be there physically in his body and physically touch him for a miracle. Because this is God. He's already there in the spirit. But he doesn't have to be there physically and touch him physically. He can speak a word. Just speak the word. The authority is in his what? Word. You got to put your faith in the word of God, not in a sign or a miracle. And she's going to teach him the power and the authority that's in his word. And this man knows authority. He understands authority. He understands the power of a word. He's in the court of a king. He knows how much power that word of that king is and how much authority is behind that word. When that king says something, friend, you better do it. There's power. There's authority behind that word. That's what makes this so unusual. For what would seem like uh, Jesus being insubordinate to the authority. Wow. Because this man understands authority. He understands the power of a word. And that's what the Lord's going to teach him. He's trying to teach all of us that tonight. How are you going to be saved, church? You're going to be saved based on the Word of God. Doing what God tells you to do. If you don't do what God tells you to do, are you going to be saved? You might have been in the past, but are you today? Okay. So anyway, let's go on. The nobleman. Sir, can you, can you imagine? Okay. He's already got a rebuke from this Jewish man. And he's royalty. This doesn't happen. You hear what I'm telling you? This is, this is unheard of. Okay. He's going to be killed on the spot for that. He steps up and says, Sir. Sir. He calls Jesus Sir. Sir. If you really want to get technical, he said, Lord. Now, you need to remember, I told you, he's an agnostic. He's full of pride. He's an Herodian. He doesn't believe anything other than just what he wants to believe and what Caesar commands him to believe. He doesn't believe in any God but Caesar. And now, there's something about Jesus that this man, not only is Jesus not bowing to him, throwing his eyes to the ground and doing whatever he tells him to do, this man's calling him Lord, calling Jesus Sir. I, I hope tonight I have the ability to convey, to convey to you the significance of what is happening here. The response of this man to Jesus and the response of Jesus to this man, it, it's, it's mind-boggling. Verse 50. Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him. And he went his way. The Word. The power that's in the Word. See, the first miracle that Jesus did was He turned water into wine. 
in the book of Genesis, the Bible says, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of what? Let's look at it. I don't want to just... Okay, let's make sure. He is the Creator. He's God. He's the one that created everything. Verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of what? The waters. This same God that moved upon the face of the waters in Genesis 1 and 1, or 1 and 2, is the same God that moved upon the waters and turned it into wine. The next sign, the healing of the nobleman, the nobleman's son. The Bible says in verse 3 of Genesis, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. So we have a parallel. The power and the authority that's in the Word of God. He said, let there be light, and there was light. Literally, let there be light, 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 light. Ongoing light, 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 The power and the authority that it was in His Word when He said, let there be light, there was light. And so now we come to the second sign in John, and it has to do with the spoken Word. And Jesus said, Thy Son, what? Liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. The word that he spoke. That's what he put his faith in. See, faith is your response to the promise of God. That's what faith is. It's your response to the word of God. That's what true faith is. Without seeing it, Jesus didn't, you know, call down fire from heaven. And said, Thy son liveth. See the sign? No sign done. That man had to take that word and the authority that was in that word. And he had to turn around and walk with no sign, no emotion, no feeling, nothing that told him other than the word that Jesus said, Thy son liveth. There was nothing external, no sign, no miracle that he could see that caused him to believe. He simply took the promise of God, the Word of God, and walked with that promise back home for 20 miles. With no feeling, no sign. Just what Jesus said. And 20 miles distance. Distance cannot separate the Word of God from its destination. Just spoke the word. It's like the authority. Let there be light. The authority that was behind that word. See? And here's where a lot of people get tripped up. They like to go to church, they say. So I want to go. Why are you going to church? I'm going to go hear the word. They like to hear the word. But they don't like the word to come forth with authority. See, just, just teach the word to me. Just don't, don't bring it with authority. Don't bring it with power. Yeah, 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 yeah. See, I'm not preaching in front of you. I'm preaching to you. There's a lot of preachers when they preach the Word of God, they're just up there, they're just preaching their little sermon, you know, and they're preaching before the people. I'm not preaching before you. I'm preaching to you. That's why sometimes what I say is going to get under your skin. 
Because it's not just the word that's going forth to you. It's coming with authority. It's coming with power. And it was even said of Jesus in the Gospel of John. He said, when he spake, he spake with authority. He wasn't as the scribes and the Pharisees. They just, you know, they could bring their, their little sermons or whatever. But when Jesus spoke, he didn't just bring a little sermonette. There was authority and power behind what he said. There was a difference. And so when Jesus says it, this man knows Jesus has got authority behind his word. Are y'all here tonight? And so you can imagine he's already, I'm assuming by historical account that he had to be confused that Jesus hadn't bowed to him. He had to be confused that Jesus didn't cast his eyes to the ground. He had, had to be confused that Jesus would rebuke him. Why? Why was Jesus allowed to do all of that? Why? I don't know. Other than if I can tell you he was God, I know that. But I'm just talking about if I was there right then, why? But say, why is this man allowing Jesus to talk to him like that? You respond to him like that and rebuke him for going after signs and miracles and not believing the way he was supposed to believe. It's amazing. It's a miracle. So he's already confused, I'm sure, in his mind. You know. But he turns around. He's got this word on the inside of him. This promise. And he walks about 20 miles, church. All he's got is a promise. He doesn't have a feeling. He doesn't have a sign. All he has is a promise. That's it. He's going to walk with a promise for 20 miles. See, what are you saying? I'm trying to tell you that's the kind of faith you've got to have. When you don't see it, when you don't feel it. Hold on. You don't tell God how to do it. You're not the one with the authority. He's not going to bow to you. He's not going to cast his eyes to the ground to you. You're going to have to bow to him. You're going to have to put your eyes to the ground. You're going to have to humble yourself. And you're going to have to do what he tells you to do. No sign. No funny feeling. Just walk with a promise. 20 mile walk. And he doesn't even show up until the next day. He doesn't show up till the next day. So that means he had to probably spend the night somewhere. Well, why get in a hurry? Why get in a hurry if you know your son's healed? But I didn't feel anything. No sign or miracle came. I just had the promise. He said the promise is enough for me. There's something about this Jesus. And he speaks. There's something. There's an authority. There's some power. And, and he, he is a man in that court knows the, the power of the king's word. Whew. So I'm going to walk with this word. This is, a, this is a majestic man that I'm in the presence of. This, her, this nobleman knows. This is a majestic man. This, this man is not like every man. Walks. Spends the night somewhere. Why get in a hurry? Believe his presence if you know the miracles happen. Just stand, just stay there and keep worshiping. The word comes, your son's, your son liveth. Alright, well, praise the Lord. Good. He's alive. He lives. Everything's alright. I'm not going anywhere. I think I'll just stay here and worship you, Lord. 
There's no sense in me running off to the hospital to check. There's no sense in me running to the house to see because God said it, it's done. So I think now I'll just hang out and I'll worship. I'll worship Him. I'll spend some time with Him. Why get in a hurry to go home if the miracle's already done? I don't even have to go check it out. I don't even have to go see it. It's already been done. He said it. Distance did not stop the Word of God. Power and the authority of the Word of God. Do you understand? So he turns around. He walks to the promise. And Jesus said, My son liveth. He said it at one o'clock in the afternoon. He said it in the seventh hour. Do you understand? The man spends the night, and, and we'll get to that next part in just a minute. All right? How they come out and meet him. Well, let's do it. Let's just go ahead and do it. Before I do, do you believe the Word of God? Or do you have to have some kind of feeling? Some kind of sign from God? Okay, yeah, now I believe, Lord. You got my attention now. Now I believe in you, Lord. He's not going to do that for you. You're going to have to put your faith in the Word of God and then the miracle will come. Okay, here we go. I'll read verse 50 again. Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. You see that? You remember that the Samaritan woman believed in what believed? How did she believe? She believed based on the word. Not a miracle, not a sign, not a wonder. Jesus didn't do one of those for her. But yet she believed he was the Messiah. And so now this man has to learn to have that kind of faith that will bring salvation. And that is faith in the Word of God. Are y'all with me? And faith in Jesus. And that you don't even have to have His physical presence there for the miracle to take place. The physical presence doesn't, the physical presence of Jesus doesn't even have to be there. Just speak the Word and the Word will go running 20 miles to Capernaum and, and go through the door of that palace. And hit that son and heal that boy right there without the physical presence. Well, I'm not going to believe unless Jesus comes to me. You're going to wait the rest of your life. You're just... You're. That's what I love here. They go to church. They sit down. I'm just... What are, you, what are you doing? I'm just waiting for the Lord. We come back a month. You still here? Yeah. What are you doing? Waiting on the Lord. Come back a year. What are you doing? I'm waiting on the Lord. He's waiting on you to believe in His Word. Are y'all hearing with me? See, that man believed the Word of Jesus Christ. He said, Thy Son liveth without the physical presence of Jesus even being there. Just the spoken Word is all I need. It's got the authority. It's got the power of God behind it. All of heaven is behind that Word. All of God's power is behind that Word. That God that said, let there be light is the one that's standing right there. And when He says it, He has the ability to bring creative things into existence. Call those things that are not as though they were. The power of this Word to change and to recreate and to create things out of nothing. And I say out of nothing. No, really, it wasn't out of nothing. It was out of Him. All the creation was inside of Him. So really, He didn't really create it out of nothing. He brought it out of Himself. He said, let there be. It came out of Him. 
The heavens came out of him. The earth came out of him. The sun, the stars, the moon came out of him when he said, let there be the power the creative words. He just has to speak it. Just speak it. Well, I want him to come and pay me a visit. And I want him to do a sign for me. You're going to be waiting. He's giving you a word. Do you believe it tonight? Now, as he was now going down, his servants met him and told, saying, Thy son liveth. Next day, he starts walking. His servants look out and see him. Hey, there's an old man. They go running out of the house. Thy son liveth. You know what? That, how awesome. Let me just put, why don't you put yourself in the story? What if you had a son that was at death's door? And a word was sent, and the word raised the boy. I mean, death is at the door of your house. And all you've got is a word to go on. And you take your love, you take your time, you know. You take your time. You don't even go to the next day. And you're walking up there, and all of a sudden somebody comes running out of the house and says, Thy son liveth. How would you feel? The Bible said he sent his word and healed them. All he's got to do is speak the word over you tonight. And he can change and transform and create and recreate everything. Things that seem impossible by a word. That's why when you come in here tonight, you can be at death's door emotionally. You can come in here and the word of God is preached. And it's not my eloquence eloquence, because I don't have any eloquence. I don't even know how to say the word eloquence. I said eloquence. It's not my eloquence because I don't have no eloquence. But when I preach the word of the living God, you understand? This word that goes forth out of this book to you is full of life. It's not just a word on a page. It's not just black ink. It's a living word. It's got power. That's why when you leave tonight, if you believe that word, you're not going to leave the same way you came. You're going to walk out. You're going to walk out with power and strength. And, and then you're going to say, well, well, that's not the way you came. That's not the way you, when you first stepped in the door of the church, that's not the way you was. What happened to you? The Word of God has energy in it. The Word of God has power in it. The Word of God is quick. That means it's alive. It's quick. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And when it goes forth, it has the ability to heal. It has the ability to heal you. It has the ability to save you. It has the ability to deliver you. It has the ability to bring a miracle to your life. Just the Word. So I don't know what you're facing right now. All you need is a Word from the throne. A Word from God. And that word will change and transform and recreate everything. Take death and bring life into it. That's the power of the word of God. So you come here and you'll walk out of here tonight. And I, listen, one thing I can guarantee, I can guarantee it. If you put faith in the word that's preached, when you walk out of here tonight, you're going to be energized. You're going to have strength. You're going to have power. You know, what happened? 
It wasn't just words off of a page, black words off of a page. It's living. It's alive. It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. It's the Word of Jesus. And what you need to see, that time is no hindrance. And distance is no hindrance. This was said approximately 2,000 years ago. But it's still just as powerful today as it was then. Because He is the eternal Word. He's the Logos come in flesh. You can't stop His Word. Distance can't stop His Word. Time can't stop His Word. Nothing can stop His Word. Death can't stop His Word. The power that's in the Word of God. And when I leave tonight, it won't be just you that are strengthened. When I leave tonight after preaching the Word of God, I'll be energized. I'll be full of life. I'll be healed. My mind will be changed. And not only that, but my family will be influenced. My family will be influenced. How? By the Word of God. Not by me, by the Word of God. Because you came tonight, you brought your family to hear the Word of God. Your family is going to be influenced tonight by the preached Word. The power of the Word of God. The presence of God, the presence of Jesus is in His Word. So when it's preached and it's spoken, He's in it. When His Word hits you, it's Him. It's Jesus. It's Him. <laughs> then He inquired of them the hour when He began to amend. What, what time did this happen? And the servant said, the seventh hour. The fever left him. I mean, that, that young boy, that young man was fe fever. Just hot, his whole body. He doesn't die. He's so hot. Fever stricken. Seven o'clock. Yesterday, he's, they say. Yesterday. I mean, you didn't even take time. You didn't travel all night to get here. You just waited. You took a nap. You made your way here. And the next day, he's asking, when did it happen? The seventh hour, one o'clock in the afternoon. And the man said, that's the very hour that Jesus spoke the word. One o'clock. One o'clock he sent his word. That means that word traveled 20 miles with no time. Because this Jesus is not confined to time. His word is not confined to time. He is the eternal everlasting God. And when he speaks, it doesn't take time to travel. The moment he said it, it came to pass. Just speak the word. Believe the word. How you going to, see, how you come to church tonight is one way. If you leave the same way you came, it's because you were looking for something other than a word from God. But if you'll take the word of God and say, I believe that word's for me. I'm walking out with a promise. 
And I don't have to get home. I don't have to get in a hurry to get home. I think I'll just stay here in the house and worship him a little while. Because it's already done. Because he said it. I don't have to see it. I don't have to have a sign. I don't have to have a miracle. I don't have to have fire come down from heaven. If God said it, that's what I'm holding on to. I'm holding on to a promise. The power and the authority that's in the Word of God. You say, well, you know, when we go to church, I wish pastor wouldn't always scream all the time. It's not just loud noise. Man, there's just something, there's a power, there's an energy in the Word of God. There's a strength that's in the Word of God. I, I have to hold on to it, just like you do. I have to hold on to the promise of God, just like you do. My wife, my children, I, we're the same, we're just like you. Okay? How, okay, alright. Listen, I'm telling you. What would you think of me if I came in here and the Word of God was being preached and I did this all, the whole service? Except I breathe. Because I know if I don't breathe, I'll die. So at least I'll breathe. You know, you see me do that one time, you say, what's wrong with pastor, you know? But if you saw me ever, ever service for months and even years, you say, something's wrong with his faith. He doesn't believe what's being preached. He doesn't believe the Word of God. Because if you believe what I'm telling you tonight, you'll walk out of here with a promise. You'll walk out of here with the power of the Word of God. Jesus, I, I don't need you. I don't want you to rebuke me, Lord. As one who's just looking for some kind of sign and some kind of miracle. And then I'll believe. I'm going to take you at your word without seeing a thing. I'm going to believe your word without feeling a thing. I don't need a sign. I don't need a miracle. I don't need a, I don't need a feeling. It is the truth. Because God said it in his word. That's all I need. I'm living on a promise. A present, a present faith for a present need. Based on a present truth. Not some past faith or some future. Right now I believe it's done. Well, how you know? Do you have kind of something you had a funny feeling? Do you get goosebumps? If people get healed, you didn't feel a thing. People get delivered and you didn't feel a thing. And it's hard for you to believe. Well, I didn't feel anything. And they got healed. Because it's not based on feeling. It's based on the word being spoken. Same hour. Same time that Jesus said it. That's when it happened. Praise God. Amen. So the father knew it was at the same hour in, in the which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth. Now watch what happens. Based on the Word of God, based on what God said to him to do, based on what God told him to do. See, he had to do what Jesus told him to do. Even though, you know, in that culture, wouldn't it seem like he'd be the one with the authority and the rank? And he's doing what this Jewish rabbi is telling him to do? 
And because he did, he got his miracle. And he got his life. Because he obeyed the word of God. You are saved by the word of God and taking that word and obeying that word and walking that word out. It's got to take you 20 miles. When I get there, I know it's going to be done. I might, the word, it didn't take the word any time. It didn't have to travel 20 miles like I walked 20 miles. It happened instantly. But I still may have to walk it out myself and keep holding on to the promise of God. And I still don't have a feeling and I still don't see, I don't have anything telling me anything's changed. But I'm holding on to a promise. And I got 20 miles to go. I got to walk it out. But the Word of God has gone before me. The Word of God's been spoken over that. The Word of God's going to change it. The Word of God's going to make the difference. That's what I'm holding on to. I still, when I get up here to preach to you, I still got to work, work, work it out and walk it out. When I first get up here, I don't feel anything. Nothing. Zero. The only thing I feel is nerves. Okay? You've got people with eyes staring at me. I see that. I don't feel anything. But when the word starts going forth, and the word is preached. All of a sudden, that power of Jesus, that authority of Jesus. So every time, listen, I'm telling you, I'm no different than you are. I have to believe the word. I have to keep preaching it. I have to keep delivering it. I have to keep speaking it. I, I just keep going, keep going, keep going. Until what? Now I got the feeling. Now I have the results. I see the results now, but before I saw the results, all I had was a word. All I had was a promise. That's all I had. But I kept speaking it. I kept believing it. I kept walking with it. And now I see the fulfillment of what I've been carrying all this time. Just like you. I'm just like you. My wife, my children are just like you. Exactly the same. We have emotions like you do. We have hard, hard days just like you do. We have hard times just like you do. We have sleepless nights just like you do. We have difficult situations that we're faced with at times. Are y'all hearing me tonight? But we have to keep on going. Why? Because of the words. The word of God tells me to go on. The sign says go on. Keep going. Keep going. Don't quit. Don't quit. I can't stop. Same struggles. Same problems you got. Okay? Not identical, but the same category. Same category. Alright? Temptations? Yeah. Temptations just like you. Temptations just like you. I sweat just like you do. I have to shower just like you do. I have to eat just like you do. I have to pray just like you do. Come on, somebody. I have to hurt just like you do sometimes. I have difficulty just like you do sometimes. I'm just like you. But I've made up my mind to put my faith in the Word of God. And that's what will make the difference in your life. When you start walking by faith, you will see miracles in your life. That's what's going to make the difference. Walking by faith in this book. You said it, Jesus. I don't see it. I don't feel it. I don't got a sign. I'm not looking for it. But you said it. I know it's going to happen. That's what makes the difference. 
We face the same kind of devils you do. How y'all hear me? Same struggles. Same types of things that come. I'm telling you, we're just like you. So I need the word just like you. Listen, church. I need to be here tonight as much if not more than you do. Because I know, brother Timothy, that I will not be saved without hearing the Word of God. I, can, I know I cannot make it. It is impossible for me not to sit under this Word. Are, are y'all with me? I happen to be the one that's the messenger. But I'm telling you, I'm still sitting under the Word because this Word is authority over me. I have to say, yes, sir, to the living Word. I've got to say, yes, to, yes sir, to the Word of God. My flesh doesn't want to. I say, yes, you will submit to the Word of God. My flesh doesn't want to. I have to get my flesh and say, you will obey God. You will worship God. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. Yes, you will worship Him. You will praise Him. You will glorify. You will. Jesus is not going to bow to your flesh. Jesus is not going to do it your way. You're going to say, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Every one of you. And I'm the same way. I'm not here to tell him how to do it or when to do it or to give me a feeling or to give me a sign and then I'll believe. He's telling me what to do. And he requires me to believe. That's what he requires me to believe it. With no sign. How many of y'all believe the word of God tonight? Well, God gives me a dream. God gives me a sign. If I go out tomorrow. And that the concrete that's in my front yard on the right-hand side of my house, if I get up and it's on the left-hand side, and I'll believe. Guess what? You're going to get up in the morning and the concrete's going to be on the right side of your house. Because God don't work that way for you. He says, here's my word. I require you to believe. I require you to obey. And if you get a feeling, praise the Lord. Thank God for the feeling, but that's not required. It's not necessary. You just tell him it's not necessary. I, I never feel anything again. I'm still going to believe his word. It's my faith is not based on what God does for me. My faith is based on the word of God. What if you go through some real hard trial in your life? And it seems like God's not even answering your prayer. That God's not even listening to you. Are you going to quit living for God because you know you didn't hear or hear from God? God didn't talk to you? You're going to quit living for God because He didn't come and work a miracle for you. He let you. Oh, you better not. You better not. Say, God, I'm not here because I'm looking for a miracle. I'm not here because I'm looking for a sign. If you don't do anything for me ever again, I'm still going to worship you. I'm still going to praise you. I'm still going to believe your word. If you never do one more thing for me. And I believe, I believe He will do more than one more thing for you. But I'm just saying that's not why you live for me. You have to get to a place and I have to get to a place 
where we say, Lord Jesus, if you never do anything else to me, I'm still going to believe you. Job said, though he slay me, yet shall I trust him. He can kill me, but I'm still going to trust him. Yes, Lord. You got it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Amen. Well, I've been praying, Pastor. Nothing's changing. Doesn't matter. It's required you and I to walk by faith. Oh, hallelujah to the Lamb. You got to walk with a promise. Sometimes you got to walk it out. With no feeling sign. No, no, nothing. Nothing before you to let you know it happened. Just the word. That's it. Amen. And, and if it don't work out the way you want it, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Trust in you. See, some of you haven't been in the church long enough to be sitting like this. You haven't been through enough to do this. Let me bring some people up in the house of God that's been living for the Lord 10, 15, 20 years that have really been through something. And they still don't have the right to do. None of us have a right to. He's God. You're not. You've got to get rid of that pride and that arrogance. You've got to get rid of that self-righteousness about you. And say, yes, Lord. I believe in your word. Your salvation depends on it. Your salvation depends on it. Because if you don't get that kind of faith on a present truth for a present need, if you don't get this kind of faith, and no matter how it comes, you're still going to believe in the word of the Lord. Don't get discouraged. You're not going to make it. And you have to get the kind of faith that says, I don't need a sign. I don't need the miracle. I don't even need the feeling. He's still God. And I'm His servant. I'm His servant. And I, I, want, I want to be with Him forever in heaven. But he, I'll be there. And he, He's my Lord. He's not just my Savior. He's my Lord. I say, serve to Him. I say, serve to Him. And another reason why you have to walk with that kind of faith in the Word of God is because you influence your house. The Bible says, So the Father knew that it was the same hour in which Jesus said unto him, Said unto him, Thy son liveth and himself believed and his whole house. This nobleman whether he be the servant to the king or whether he be the king's brother with royal blood inside of him in a king's palace, this Gentile, prideful, arrogant Herodian believes based on the Word of God. Are y'all here tonight? On the Word. And the Word produced the sign. It produced the miracle. But it's the Word he believed in. That's the kind of belief that was necessary. And the word right there, somebody asked the question. I was studying. Somebody asked the question in, in this writing. I was reading. Somebody asked the question, well, what did he believe? Well, the context tells you. 
We believe Jesus. We believe Jesus. And the word belief means absolute belief. He absolutely, he converted. He became a believer. I said he became a believer in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah to the Lamb. And, and not only himself, but his whole house. Look at, as I close, look at the influence that a father had for his son. The influence of that father going to Jesus saying, Jesus, my son is sick. He's about to die. We need a miracle. And he learned all he could go by was the word that Jesus spoke. And that's what he went by. But what he did influenced his household, his son. See, let me just put it to you this way. All of us parents tonight, you are influencing your children. If you don't believe God for yourself, believe God for your children. Because you are an influence for your son or your daughter. Either good or bad. Good or bad. In this case, this man's influence was for good. The son lived. And not only did he live physically, but he became a believer. A believer. The influence was there. I'm going to let you go. But I want you to think about this, how important it is to submit yourself to the Word of God. When I first became a born-again believer, I was working in a shop, <clears throat> a filtration company, and I worked there for 10 years. And I was back in the back of that shop most of the time by myself. I was working on chemical pumps, tearing them down, rebuilding them, you know, all that process, patenting them and all this stuff. A pump repairman. Uh, a pump repairman. That's what I was. And Anyway, a lot of other duties. But those 10 years as I was at that job, though, Mark, I put my little radio up on the drill press. And I put that radio, it used to be Quad K back then. Quad K is no longer a station, I don't believe. But back then it's Quad K. Put that station on Quad K for 10 years. And I listened to preacher after preacher after preacher after preacher. Preacher, I didn't, I, yeah, music was okay. But what I lived for when I was working was to hear that word coming out of the mouth of those men. And every day I'd be out there, I'd be working and I'd be listening to that radio. Them preachers preaching the word of God. And there was an old preacher, pastor in California. His name was J. Vernon McGee. And I listened to him every, just about every day, every possible day. I could listen to him because he had a program called Through the Bible. He went from Genesis to Revelation teaching through the Bible. And I think it's five years. It took me five years to go through the whole Bible. So in ten years that I was there, that means that he would have been, went through the whole Bible at least once. And I'd sit there and I'd listen to him, among others, teach the Word of God verse by verse, verse by verse, verse by verse. He's now gone on. He's now passed on. But he shared a story. And the story was a man was in his church and this man was an officer in his church. This officer in the church, 
that Dave Ernie pastored was not living right. His life wasn't good. Here's the way Vernon McGee put it. His life wasn't good, but he was still an officer in the church. The officer of the church in the church went to Vernon McGee one day and said, I would like for you to go speak to my son concerning salvation. J. Vernon McGee looked at the officer in the church and he said, I, I'm not going to do that. He said, I can't do that. He said, because for all these years, all you've done is feed that boy, roasted preacher. And so he said, because you fed him roasted preacher all these years, Vernon McGee says, I have no influence over him. He doesn't respect me, Vernon McGee said. So Vernon McGee got with that man. He said, what we're going to have to do now is we're going to have to pray that God will use somebody else beside his pastor to speak a word to him. Because I don't have to influence him in his life anymore and nor do you. That father lost his influence over his son. And when it came time for him to go to the pastor and ask the pastor to help him, the pastor didn't have influence either because he had spoke against that pastor in the presence of his son so many years. I'm telling you today that you're sowing for the day of your life. Sins. You believe the word of God, not just for your own salvation, but because you're influencing your children, good or bad. One way or the other, you're influencing them. And you don't want to go up and it come time for them to be saved. But the influence of the pastor won't be there. And your influence won't be there either because they watched your life. You'll lose your influence. You want to raise your kids. You want to show to them by example that you believe the Word of God and you live by the Word of God. And when they grow up, that influence will be good in their lives. That's what you want. That's what you want. And this man right here, that man right there, influenced his son and influenced his whole family. They had to come to faith on their own. They had to have their own faith. He couldn't save them. He could influence them. But he did influence them. And because he influenced them, the Bible said his whole house believed. You're influencing your children one way or another, good or bad. Let's pray. Father, I thank you tonight. Lord, I thank you tonight. 